Hello, my name is Carrie Glaude. I've been married to my husband, Dan, for 33 years. We have three adult children. Our daughter's 28, and then our two boys, 26 and 24. They're all married, and we have one grandbaby, um, a grandson, and then our granddaughter is going to be born in November. We've been part of Chapel Street Church for 15 years, and before that, we, we went to Ginger Creek Community Church in North Aurora. When I was there, I started and ran a mom's ministry there. God has given me a passion for his word and for women, and in particularly moms. I really believe that motherhood is a high calling and a privilege, but I also know it's not easy. And I think besides marriage is probably one of the hardest things that we will ever do. But I am honored whenever I have the opportunity to serve and encourage and challenge moms. And I like to remind you that you are not alone and that you are a child of the King and to keep your eyes on him for he will equip you and carry you through this time. So before I begin, I'd like to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and open hearts to soak in the truths you are going to speak to us today. Thank you for giving us your precious word. May we come to the table this morning and feast on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm excited as we uh, get to start to dive into this study about what it means to be set free as moms. When I read the title of this book, and especially the part that says good news for moms who are tired of trying to be good enough, I thought, wow, that was me. And then I thought, who am I kidding? That still can be me. But I do wish I had this study 20 years ago. When I started to have children, I wanted to make sure that my home wasn't like the one I grew up in. Um, there was a lot of yelling, uh, where discipline was fear-based, where I had nightmares almost every night because of the stress that was in my home. And I, I didn't have a voice. Nope, I wasn't going to let that happen in my home. So I was going to be the perfect mom, creating a loving and safe home and disciplining with kindness all the time, all the while pointing them to Jesus. Yes, I could do this. I was going to learn from my mother's mistakes. And I was going to keep, I could keep everything under control. But as I embarked on becoming a mother, I found out very quickly there were a lot of things that just were out of my control. It started with conceiving, where it wasn't quite happening on the time frame I was hoping for. I wanted to be a mom and so badly, and I saw everybody else getting that but me. And then when we finally got pregnant, we lost our first child. Then we got pregnant with our daughter, and her birth didn't go quite according to my birth plan. Thus, I had a C-section. And then the sleepless nights and inconsolable tears, both the babies and mine. So many questions. Why is she not sleeping through the night? Should I go into her, let her cry it out? Should I demand feed or schedule feed? And then they become a toddler and they start lear learning the word no in mine. So many questions that I just didn't have the answers to. Although I thought I could find the answers, but no book in the world had all the answers. They just made me feel guilty when things weren't turning out the way they said they should if I just did it right. My doctor didn't have all the answers. My mother certainly didn't have all the answers. And Google definitely did not have all the answers, although I'm not even sure Google existed back then. 
but what could I do but run to my Savior? And you know what he said to me? He said, be still and know that I am God. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I am constantly reminded that I am not good enough, but that God is. I'm assuming and hoping that I am not the only one who finds myself measuring up to, not measuring up to perfect standards. Do you ever notice that the more you strive to do things right, the more you see your imperfections? I swore that I would never let my children have too much screen time, except for when I needed a break. That I wouldn't feed them unhealthy food. Um, McDonald's Playland became my best friend. I would discipline consistently, except when I was tired. I would never yell at my kids, except for when they weren't obeying me. That I would be patient all the time, except for when they aren't acting the way I want them to. I don't know, maybe you aren't like me and you think you had this parenting thing down pretty good. Maybe you take up the challenge that our culture has placed on us, telling us that we can be good enough for them if we just try hard enough. I would bet at some point, though, in your parenting journey, no matter how short it is, that you have seen your imperfections and doubted yourself, doubted your capabilities, and worried that if you just don't do this parenting thing right, it'll be on you if your children don't turn out right, that their entire futures are right on your ability to perfectly orchestrate their lives. Well, I have bad news, and I have good news. The bad news is that you cannot be good enough for your children. And the good news is that God is enough. His grace is good enough for us, and it's good enough for our children. His grace saves us, but it's not a one-and-done deal. He also pours out his grace on us daily, covering our imperfections. God is not relying on us to be perfect moms. He's asking us to rely on him. And through the Holy Spirit, He transforms us from the inside out into the moms we long to be. So what does that mean, that God is enough? What does it look like to rely on him? There are many ways that this looks like, but I'm going to talk about three of them. Abiding in him, trusting him, and stop trying to be him. John 15, 1 through 5, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, He bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So what does that mean, that apart from him, we can do nothing? Can we not do any good apart from him? Well, obviously, there are lots of moms out there that do amazing things apart from God. But this passage is specifically talking about we cannot bear fruit apart from an intimate relationship with Christ. So what fruit is it talking about? It's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, through 23, 
we see that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If these are what we want um, in our lives, we have to abide in Christ. So how do we do that? Abide is a verb. It's active. It means to remain or stay. When Jesus came to visit Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his words. When Martha got all bent out of shape, Jesus said, there is only one thing worth being concerned about, and that is sitting at his feet and listening to his word. Abiding with Jesus, staying close to him, and following his lead equips us to bear the fruit of the Spirit. When I try to be a good mom on my own accord, try to be a godly mom, a mom characterized with these attributes, I fail miserably. But as I sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word, the Holy Spirit continues to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in me, making me a better mom. I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, I barely have enough time to pee, let alone spend time with God every mo- every day or every morning or whenever. But I will admit, it, it takes some creativity. But there was a story that impacted me that I'll never forget, and I'd like to share it with you. It's about a woman. Her name is Susanna Wesley. You may have heard her. But here, let me read this little bit about her story. She lived in the 1700s and was married to a preacher. They raised 10 children, of which two grew up to be evangelists, bringing millions of souls to Christ. And that would be John and Charles Wesley. But behind the door of her home, hopeless conditions were the norm. She married a man who couldn't manage money. They disagreed on everything from money to politics. She gave birth to 19 children, of which nine died in infancy. Sam, her husband, left her to raise the children alone for long periods of time. This sometimes was over something as simple as an argument. One of their children was crippled. Another couldn't talk until he was nearly six years old. Susanna herself was desperately sick most of her life. There was no money for food or anything. Debt plagued them. Sam was once thrown into debtor's prison because their debt was so high which doubled their problems. Twice, their homes that they lived in were burned to the ground, losing everything they owned. Someone slit their cow's udders so they wouldn't have milk, killed their dog, and burned their flax seed, flax field. She worked the gardens, milked the cows, which I'm assuming before they cut the udders, schooled her ten children, managed the entire house herself, Even amid this most complex and busy years of her life as a mother, she still scheduled two hours each day for fellowship with God and time in his word, and she adhered to that schedule faithfully. The challenge was finding a place of privacy in a home filled and overflowing with children. I heard it was a one-bedroom house. I don't know if that's accurate or not, but the challenge was finding a place of privacy. So what did Mother Wesley's solution? It was to bring her Bible to her favorite chair and throw her long apron over her head, forming a sort of tent. This became something similar to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the days of Moses in Old Testament. All ten children, from the smallest toddler to the oldest domestic helpers, 
knew well to respect this signal. When Susanna was under the apron, she was with God and was not to be disturbed except in case of the direst emergency. There, in the privacy of her little tent, she interceded for her husband and children and reveled in deep mysteries of God in the scriptures. This holy discipline equipped her with a thorough and profound knowledge of the Bible. So there you go. Go buy yourself an apron. Seriously, though, I didn't share this to make you feel guilty or to put added pressure for one more thing for you to do, but rather to encourage you that you can find creative ways to spend alone time with God. As Jesus said, it's the only thing that matters. And it doesn't have to be for two hours. I remember there was a time when my kids, three kids were very little, and I felt so completely overwhelmed, and um, I could just see my shortcomings in my face. I made it my goal just to place my eyes on God's words each day, no matter how short a period of time it was. Once my kids all uh, started sleeping through the night, finally, I, they all were over a year old before they started sleeping through the night, and they were all two years apart, so between nursing and being pregnant and having kids, I figured I didn't sleep through the night for five years. But anyways, when they finally did sleep through the night, I would set my alarm to just wake up in the morning and spend, you know, 15, 20, 30 minutes alone with the Lord. But I swear my little guy had a radar and it didn't matter how early I set my alarm and he would still want to get up and, and want me at that time. I I feel like it was just Satan just trying to prevent me from spending time with the Lord. But I needed that time. He, he, he was my lifeline in this very weary and tiresome uh, season. You know, so often I felt inadequate as a mom, and I needed God's promises to wash over me. I needed to be reminded of God's love for me. I needed his strength and his encouragement. So I would just go into the guest bedroom and close the door. And if any of my kids, you know, opened the door and peeked themselves in, I just would say, no, no, mommy's having her Jesus time. And, you know, close the door. You have to wait. Now, of course, they didn't always listen to me, but I just kept trying. When we abide in Christ, we become more like him. And then we can love our kids like he loves us. And that's the ultimate gift we can give our kids, that they can experience God through us. God is not relying on us to be perfect moms. He's asking us to rely on him by abiding in him so he can transform us more and more into his image. The next characteristic of relying on God is trusting in him. Why can we trust God? Because he is sovereign and full of mercy and grace. Let's, let's break that down. What does it mean for God that God is sovereign? Well, the definition of sovereignty is supreme power or authority. In Colossians 1, 16 through 17, it says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He created all things. He is the Lord, the authority of all of it. That means the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars, the billion of galaxies to the smallest atom. He created it all. I don't know if you've ever heard of the fine-tuning of the universe. 
It's pretty fascinating. You can look it up on YouTube. But the bottom line is that scientists have discovered that the structure of the universe is determined by many numbers that are called the constant and quantities of the universe. And each of these numbers have been dialed to an astonishing precise value that falls within an exceedingly narrow life permitting range. And if any one of these numbers are off just by hair, no physical interaction of life at all could exist. No stars, no planets, no chemistry, nothing. There would be no life available. And it's only possible because these numbers are so independently and exquisitely balanced on a razor's edge. In his power and lordship, God is balancing the universe in his hands, keeping it together. And in those same hands, he's holding you, me, and our children. So can we trust him? Can we trust him with our life? with our children's lives. In Matthew 10, 29 through 31, it says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. His word is telling us he values us. He values our children. Why and how? Since we are imperfect people, well, why? Because he is love and he created us because of his love. In 1 John 3, 1, it says, See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that is what we are. This powerful God who holds the universe in his hands loves us and calls us his children. And how? By his mercy and grace. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We are given God's undeserved mercy and grace. Now, mercy is not getting the punishment we deserve. Grace is is a gift given when we don't deserve it. So let's put it another way. Suppose someone attempted to rob your house. You learned that the robber was just in desperate situation and he didn't intend to harm anybody. So instead of calling the police, you choose to pardon the thief and let the matter go. That's mercy. But then you give him food and a few dollars to get him through this trying time. That's grace. God has the power and the right to punish us because of our sin, but in his mercy, he doesn't. Then, by grace, he freely forgives us through his son, Jesus Christ, giving us eternal life. This is his saving grace. But grace is given to us also daily. He gives us unmerited favor, blessing upon blessing, covering our imperfections, not only for us, but for our children as well. As much as he love as much as we love our children, our love is no matches for the Lord's. He loves them even greater. They are first and foremost his. They were created by him and they belong to him. We just have the privilege of being entrusted with them for a short period of time while we're here on earth. Knowing this truth is crucial to trusting him. So even when things are difficult, We need to remember that our children are on loan to us. 
and that ultimately they belong to God. When my daughter was a freshman in high school, she started hanging out with some questionable people. I didn't want to be a controlling, over-controlling mom, but I was afraid of the poor choices that she was going to make or could possibly make. One day, she told me that um, she wanted to go sleep over at a neighbor's house. She was friends with their daughter. And so I was like, sure, go ahead. Well, at five in the morning, uh, the house alarm went off. I go running downstairs, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do if there was an intruder coming in. But anyways, halfway down the stairs, I ran into my daughter and she's like, you know, I'm just not feeling good. I wanted to come home. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm half tired. So I crawl back into bed. Well, later that day, I'm having a conversation with the mom of the neighbor. And I mentioned, I really hope, you know, Janelle wasn't too much of a problem last night. And you should have seen the look on her face. You know, she's like, um, Janelle wasn't here last night. I, my heart just sank. She found out that she had been out with, you know, people I didn't even know. And I was just like, what else don't I know? And what have I done wrong as a parent? Once again, I had to run to my Lord. I was not in control, but my God was bigger. As moms, we can trust that God is bigger than our faults and our kids' faults, and that he can work through our mistakes. We can trust that he has our children on their own faith journey and that he will continue to pursue them. We can trust that he will provide for our needs, even if it doesn't look the way we were kind of hoping. We can trust that he is doing a work inside of us as well as our children. Today, my daughter is a youth pastor and she is investing in teens and often shares her own personal story. God is not relying on us to be perfect moms. He's asking us to rely on him by trusting him. The more we get to know him by abiding in him, the more we can trust him. Now, the last attribute of relying on God I want to talk about today is to stop trying to be him. So what do I mean by that? God is not relying on us to be a perfect example for our kids to follow. Rather, that the example we set should foster what it looks like to follow Christ. If you hear anything, please hear this. They do not need us to be the perfection of Christ. They need to see us in pursuit of Christ. I'm going to say that again. They do not need us to be the perfection of Christ. They need to see us in pursuit of Christ. They need to see us pointing them to Christ and to see the power of Christ made perfect in our weakness. When I started to see the things in me that my mother did that I didn't like, things I swore I would never do, like yelling at my kids out of anger, I was so afraid I was going to mess my kids up that I would damage them beyond repair. One of my favorite books of the Bible is Philippians. As the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, he says this in chapter 3, verses 10 and 14. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this, or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take a hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken a hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. We are to press on towards our goal, knowing that in this life we will never achieve the perfection of Christ. We reach forward and grab a hold of Jesus' hand as he walks us to our prize, which is eternal life, and there we will be made perfect. See, this is what our children need to see. They need to see us holding on to Jesus in our weakness. When we think if we just try hard enough, we could achieve perfection, we tend to put that on our children. We either want perfection from them or they think we do. What is awesome is that our weaknesses, our flaws, can reveal God's mercy and grace in our life. In 2 Corinthians 12, God says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. When I screw up, I don't have to feel that I've messed them up forever. I can take off that burden that it's all up to me. I can confess to my children that mommy messed up and I am sorry and ask for forgiveness. And then I am strong as God's power is working through me to point them to their flawless Savior. My parents divorced when I was very young, and my sister and my mom and I lived with my grandma for a while. She was a big part of um, my life, even after we moved out. We spent summers there after school. My mom was a working mom, and she loved the Lord And she was the one who introduced me to Jesus. We had a very special relationship. I loved my grandma so much, but she wasn't perfect. One thing, though, that made a big impact on my life, even as a little girl, is that if she ever lost her temper or yelled at me out of anger, she would always come to me and um, confess uh, and say she was sorry. And that, that meant a lot to me, even as a little girl. And then I remember a time um, when I was either middle school or or later grade school that uh, she said something racist about a friend of my sister's. And I was like, Grandma, you know, I called her out on it. And I'm like, Jesus wouldn't say that. He wouldn't think that. He loves her just as much as anybody else. And she humbly admitted that I was right. She recognized that she wasn't perfect, but she wasn't, she wasn't afraid to admit that to me but I saw her always pursuing Christ. Often I'd catch her in her bed reading her Bible. I knew she was my prayer warrior, and I felt God's love through her. No, she wasn't perfect, but in her weakness, God was strong, and I am a life that was saved because of it. Of course, our examples have a profound impact, and we should wholeheartedly seek to be a godly example for our children. But we do not have to be ashamed of our weaknesses, but rather use them to point our children to Jesus. He is the one that they can trust and put their hope in. He is the one who is flawless. He's the only perfect example for them to follow, not us. God is not relying on us to be perfect moms. He's asking us to rely on him by stop trying to be him. As I wrap things up, I want to encourage you I know what it's like to want to do this parenting thing right. I know how it feels 
to love these little humans that we birthed so much that it hurts. I know what it's like to want to be enough, hoping that it will give them the best life. But I also know what it's like to fail, to be weak, to be broken. I know what it's like to fall to my knees, asking my father for his mercy and grace. I shared about my daughter earlier and my concern about the choices she would make and the mistakes that I was making as a mom. We don't always get to see all the ways that God uses us to make an impact in our children's lives, but recently God blessed me with a glimpse of one. My Part of my daughter's job as a youth pastor is she does a podcast um, for parents of the teens, which of course I listen to all the time, something I love about technology. Anyways, in a recent episode, um, she was giving tips on parenting young adult children. Now, of course, she's not a parent yet, but it was coming from a child's perspective. And something that she said that I got to hear made me cry, and I'd like to share it with you. Reminds me, I remember, you know, my mom would have her, like, time with the Lord in the mornings, every single morning, and if we mm. try to interrupt her, she'd be like, nope. Not now. Yeah. Mom's having her Jesus time or whatever. And I used to think, oh, like, that's just what mom does every morning. But yeah. now I'm like, wow, that's what mom does every morning. Like, mm. I feel like I can relate to her and see things from her perspective so much more now because I'm an adult. And I'm like, wow, like, she's so consistent in yeah. her time with God. And I love, you know, rem- I, I remember it and I saw it differently then, then. But now just, like, reflecting on it now as an adult, it just... I don't know. It's different. Yeah. See, I didn't have to be perfect. She she remembers me spending time with the Lord. And I think it's funny how it said, how she said, you know, she was so consistent. It wasn't like I had it every morning, every day. I tried, but she saw me trying. And she, all I needed to do was run to my perfect Savior and point them to him. So when you're feeling the pressure to be good enough for your children, because the pressure is not going to go away, it's always there. But when you feel it, rely on your Heavenly Father. Abide in Him. As you sit at His feet, you will experience the fruit of the Spirit developing in you. And then you can trust Him, knowing He is sovereign and full of mercy and grace that covers your faults, so that then you can rest and stop trying to be Him but rather let your children see you pursuing him. As Jeannie says in the study, we can be moms who are free to be honest about your weaknesses, grateful for our Savior, and eager to live in the likeness of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And remember what Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burned again by a yoke of slavery. Remember, ladies, God is not relying on us to be perfect moms. He's asking us to rely on him. So let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your promises, for knowing that you are holding us and our children in your hands. We are grateful for your love, your mercy, and grace. When we get fearful and feel the pressure to be perfect, remind us to run to you. 
remind us that you are our all-sufficient Savior, that you are perfect, and that in our weaknesses we can point our children to you. I pray for each of these women here that your spirit will fill them and comfort them and continue to develop your fruit and that they will be able to live a life set free. In your name, amen.